hey, grab a seat. And as you grab a seat, grab a Bible. If you need a Bible under a seat close by, you can find one. Turn to this book in the New Testament uh, called Philippians. And if you don't know where that book is, just use the table of contents on the beginning of the Bible underneath your seat. Find this book called Philippians. If this is your first Sunday with us, you're joining us at a perfect time. We begin a brand new fall series called Gospel Joy as we walk uh, verse by verse and paragraph by paragraph through just this treasure of a book in the New Testament that I think um, is just has, has an amazing impact on all of our hearts here. And so, so excited to walk through this series of gospel joy together with you all. Um, but as you turn there, let me, let me just kind of maybe state the obvious, say something that maybe when I say it, you're like, yeah, that is true. Um, this word or this idea of together, this idea of together, um, is way more powerful and means way more to us than maybe we ever even stop and think about. Uh, let, me, let me try to make that point. Um, parents of grown children. Parents of grown children, your children now have children of their own. They have families of their own. Uh, let me ask this question and see if I can guess what the answer is. What are your favorite vacations now? I bet maybe what doesn't come to mind anymore is like a certain location I bet maybe what doesn't come to mind anymore is maybe even like times you can get away just the two of you. I bet for many of you parents who now have children who have children of their own, your favorite vacations are the ones where you can get the whole family what? Together. Um, former athletes, former people part of a club or, or something like that. I, I'm willing to bet when you get together with old friends, old teammates, old classmates, what isn't maybe discussed is like the one moment where you hoisted a trophy in the air. Maybe, maybe you touch on that, but I bet what fills most of your time as you guys talk and reminisce and talk about the past are the hundreds of stories that went into the one moment at the end, the hundreds of stories of just being what? Together. Um, like when you stop and think about it, and just this week I, I was doing this, when you really stop and think about it, most of the achievements we've achieved, uh, most of the trips we have taken, most of the journeys we have been on, they're special to us, they're memorable to us, they stick in our mind most often because of the people we got to do it together with. And this makes a lot of sense. And it makes a lot of sense because God has wired us, God has created us to be a together people. Even if you're here and you're an introvert, you know that even though you might be introverted and you might not like a lot of people all at one time, you know that there's something still in our introverted little hearts that still fears being alone, still fears being lonely. We, we long for together. We long to have people to do life together with. And what's so neat is God is most passionate. God is so passionate about this thing called the church, his people doing this gospel life together. And um, what we're going to find, we're going to jump into a letter here. And um, at the beginning of this letter, let me, let me say it like this. Um, when you go to your mailbox and you pull mail out of your mailbox and you flip through, a lot of it's junk mail, but then you come to some mail that actually has to be opened. Um, let's talk about the difference between two types of letters. Let's, 
the first letter you get, let's, let's call it a letter from your homeowners association. How warm is that letter going to be? I'm filtering some things about homeowners associations right now. <laughs> Versus, you go to the mailbox, you go in, there's a letter from an old friend, like a decades old friend. There's maybe a letter from a mom, a dad. There's a letter from a son or a daughter. You know right away in the beginning of this letter, there's a level of relational proximity. There's a level of closeness. There's this, there's this level of love and affection. As we jump in to this letter, written by this guy named Paul, to these believers in the city of Philippi, what we're going to see as this letter begins, and this, this is two groups of people who deeply love each other. This is two groups of people, a writer of a letter and a receiver of a letter, who love doing this gospel life together. And my hope as we study the very beginning of this letter is that we all together fall in more in love of all of the joys that we get of doing this gospel life together as a church. Now, but before we jump into the beginning of this book, anytime we come to a new book to study here on a Sunday morning, or anytime you come to a new book that you're studying just in your personal study, we have to take some time to lay out the context in which this book was written. If we don't spend time laying out the foundational context of a book, we'll come to passages and we'll be like, what in the world does that mean? Because unless you understand context, you can't always understand the meaning of the passages that we're going to study. And so uh, the first two verses of this book kind of help lay out this context for us. Uh, get there with me. Be beginning of the letter from Paul to the Philippians, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, I just want you to stop there. Um, typically, when we write a letter, we, uh, we, our first words are, dear so-and-so, and who wrote the letter doesn't come down until the end. Uh, kind of exact opposite in this day. A letter would always be led by the person who was writing the letter. And it tells us the person writing this letter is this guy by the name of Paul. And if you've grown up any uh, amount of time in church world, you've heard of this guy. Uh, like 13 of the books of the New Testament were penned by this guy, but he wasn't always this, this uh, deeply in love with Jesus kind of guy. Actually, quite the opposite. At one time, he hated Jesus. He hated Jesus' people. He wasn't, it wasn't like he was not this religious guy. He was super religious. He was zealous for the Jewish law. He was zealous for Yahweh God, but, but he had missed the boat. That this Messiah, this Jewish, this Jewish Savior he was waiting for had come and his name was Jesus. And he didn't believe it until one day he's literally walking down the road. Jesus steps into his path, uh, calls him to himself. History records it overnight. The greatest hater of Jesus and his movement goes to the greatest church planner and proponent of Jesus and his movement. Um, if you're struggling with any sort of faith crisis in your life right now, um, mine happened in college. It was Paul's conversion that solidified it for me. History records. How does this guy overnight? How does this change overnight? Jesus does that. He's writing this, and as Paul would go around and plant these churches, he'd pick up some younger guys in ministry, Timothy being one of these. And he's got kind of this protege that he's mentoring in ministry. And so Paul and Timothy, um, and then it tells us this. What's the word right after Timothy? What's it say? Servants. Greek word doulos. Slaves. 
bondservants, bondservants, slaves to who? To Jesus Christ. We hear that word, bondservants, we hear slaves, we think oppressive. Um, uh, Paul and Timothy think quite the opposite. They're like, listen, here's who's writing this. Paul and Timothy, slaves to Jesus. Oh, by the way, and it's awesome. And that's going to come in here as we study this letter, this idea that they are just servants. They go where Jesus goes. They do what Jesus does. But then look, it goes on. It says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at the city called Philippi. Now, I don't want to turn there, but Acts chapter 16 lets us in to how um, Paul and Timothy are first introduced to these people at Philippi. And if you have time this week, go back, flip back in your Bible, get to Acts chapter 16, read it, not now, but this week. Um, And what you're going to find is... um, Um, Paul and Timothy show up on the scene. They start talking. They start preaching this message called the gospel, and some get saved. But Acts chapter 16 tells us something about this city called Philippi that's really important. It calls it a leading city of the day. Now, why was Philippi a leading city of the day? Uh, Two two reasons to highlight. One is this. Uh, Philippi was a leading city of the day because just some, some of the geographic reality of where it sat. Uh, Philippi sat up on the shore of the Aegean Sea that jets off the Mediterranean. Uh, It was a major port city, but also in that major port city ran one of the the most popular, the the most uh, used highways of the day called the Via Ignatia. And so um, what you had in Philippi was almost a crossroads of sorts of both land and water, making it a major economic force in its day. And so you have this geographic reality that makes Philippi a leading city of the day, but then you have this political reality that makes Philippi a leading city of the day. Philippi was a Roman colony, and, and it was kind of unique in that um, many of the former Roman soldiers, of, call them veterans, they kind of retired and, ho- and made Philippi their home. And so imagine this now. You have all of these patriotic former Roman soldiers who are calling Philippi home, and here come two guys taking the message to the city of there being another king, a greater king, a king of kings named Jesus. How do you think that went over for them? Not always so hot. You have these patriotic Roman, former Roman soldiers, and you can read in Acts 16 some of the conflict that happens there, but the Lord moves. Some people come to know Jesus in this city. The gospel is shared. Paul moves on and continues with his missionary journeys. And now where we find Paul, as he writes this letter back to those Philippian believers, he's now in Roman imprisonment. This is a letter from prison. Like, we have to get that. This is a letter from prison. And what's just happened is these, Phil- these Philippians, these believers in Philippi, this young Jesus community has just sent someone from their church and he's gone on this long journey to bring Paul financial assistance while he is in prison. So he's come, he's given this financial assistance so Paul can provide for his needs while he's in Roman imprisonment and now Paul's writing a letter back to them to say thank you to encourage a young group of Jesus followers and to give them some instructions for their journey. And as this letter starts, I hope together we are going to see and experience and feel the deep love and warmth 
that these two sides have for each other. And we're going to talk about four joyful realities of us doing the gospel life together. But last thing before I pray. Uh, This series is titled Gospel Joy. And I think it's really important that before we just move on with a series called Gospel Joy, that we understand some things, that we start at the same place. What do we mean by gospel? And what do we mean by joy? And what are we talking about here? And so, uh, kind of a long definition of gospel, but I don't want to boil it down and miss any aspect of it. But let's define the gospel like this. The gospel is the good news message that Jesus, by his grace, takes us from hopelessly dead in our sin to abundantly and eternally alive in him. We agree? It's a message. The gospel is a message. And it's a message that has bearing on every tribe and every tongue and every nation. It's a message that's to go to the end of the globe. And it's a message of good news of how we cross over from death to life. Now, what's joy? Um, A little shorter. Joy an enduring, non-circumstantial delight. We will, in nearly every paragraph we study, stumble across some form of the word joy, some form of the word rejoice. Remind me again, where's Paul writing this from? Anyone else want to know how this guy's talking about joy, 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 joy? How he's got the joy, 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 joy down in his heart? From prison? It's this enduring, non-circumstantial delight. So what is gospel joy? Don't even try to write this down. We'll put it up on social media or something. Gospel joy, an enduring, non-circumstantial delight in the good news message that Jesus, by his grace, takes us from hopelessly dead in our sin to abundantly and eternally alive in him. That's the journey we're going on together. Let me pray and let's get into it. Father, Uh, Lord, um, our greatest hope right now is that you would make the gospel so alive in our hearts through this series. Lord, I pray for those who have never heard the gospel, who will today and in the coming weeks. Lord, you have to do the work to apply it to their heart. Lord, I pray for those who are wrestling over their surrender and submission to this message of the gospel, Lord, will you come and wave the white flag on their behalf? Father, I pray for those who have grown up in the church for decades, who have heard the gospel again and again and again. And Lord, instead of softening a heart, it's hardened a heart. Would you come and make that heart soft in this series? Lord, we won't have joy without the gospel. Joy is a byproduct, it's an overflow of that message gripping and saturating our heart. And so God, I pray you, would you come grip and would you come saturate? And oh God, please get the preacher out of the way and say what you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. Feel the warmth now. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with, what's the word? With joy. 
Now just stop and let's translate that and kind of say it how we'd say it in 2017 uh, American terms. He says, hey, listen, um, guys, as I write to you, every time I think about you, every time I remember you, every time I pray for you, I just can't help but be filled with joy over who you are. Now, you have people like this in your past, and I have people like this in my past. I'm reading a book this week, and I come to a chapter in the book, and as I'm reading it, Brian and Kim, Kim Hedinga come to mind. Uh, Brian and Kim were uh, the parents of a friend of mine that I've had from about the time I was in, in kindergarten. And this couple, they modeled what it looked like to have a Christ-centered marriage. They modeled what it looked like to have a Christ-centered parenting philosophy. And I didn't even know it at the time, but all the time shooting hoops in their driveway, all the times him coaching the basketball team I was on, all the time just spent hanging out in their basement, I was learning so much about what it meant to follow and lead a family like Jesus. And I'm reading this book this week, and I'm like, Brian and Kim Hedinga, and my heart overflows in joy just remembering them. You have people like this too. When you think about them, when they come to mind, you just can't help be thankful and joyful over who they are and what they've meant to your life. But then verse 5, Paul tells us why every time he thinks about these people that he's full of joy. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Stop right there. Paul goes, every time I think about you, every time I pray for you, I can't help but think or pray for you without being full of joy. And here's why I'm full of joy every time I think and pray for you. I'm full of joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Now this, we're going to camp out here, and we have to camp out here because there's things we need to get. This word partnership means active participation. A partnership equals active participation on both sides of the partnership. Now, um... Who, who, when, back to school, who when class project time came up, you know where I'm going with this? You always thought to partner with the smart guy or the smart girl, and you knew the whole time this wasn't going to be a partnership at all, right? They were going to carry the weight of this thing. That's not a partnership. A partnership is both partners actively participating, actively engaged, and he says, I'm so full of joy in your active participation in the spread of the gospel for when? 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 It tells us when. From when? From the first day until the moment the Philippians came to know Jesus Christ, they understand they were immediately enlisted in the army of spreading the gospel of Christ. As you read this, as you Paul's understanding is not that he is in the gospel game and the Philippians are just on the sideline cheering him on, just on the sideline watching him work to spread the gospel. He says that this is very much active partnership on both sides from the first day until now. So I got a question. Do we understand that God has called us to active participation for the spread of the gospel message. I fear that the church, somewhere throughout history, 
I'm not, don't worry, I'm not, I'm not saying our, the church. Somewhere throughout history, the church went from, you got your army guy? You got your army guy? You walked in, you saw your army guy, you thought just some kid left it there, right? You should have been in the meetings this week. The logistics of getting a thousand army men and then putting them on seats. Amazon's like, you sure you want a thousand? Yeah, we want a thousand. Somewhere along the line, in the history of the church, we went from, I am an active participant in the spread of the gospel. I'm in the army. Some of you got the song in your, I may never. You know it, huh? You want me to sing it? No? Somewhere we went from this army church to this audience church. Somewhere, and I'm not smart enough to figure out where, somewhere we went from church is somewhere I go for an hour one day a week instead of church is something I am all day, every day. Somewhere we went from there's a few Christians, like the really, those are like Christian Christians. And they're in like the gospel spread game. And I'm just kind of on the sidelines like, you go. And Paul goes, no, no, no. I'm full of joy because of our partnership in the gospel. Active participation for the spread of this message from the first day until now. And church, listen. I fear some of us here are bored. I fear the church is bored. Not our church, not, and not even all of you here. Some of us here, we don't even want to say it out loud, but if we were going to admit it, we're bored. And I just tell you something, for a lot of my Christian walk with Jesus, I was bored. I thought what church meant was I go to this place for an hour a week and then I try to be really good and I try to be really disciplined and I read my little devotion and I pray my little prayers. And something happened about 25 years ago. This might get me into trouble, but it's okay, right? Something happened about 25, 30 years ago where some of the kind of the church leaders were looking there going, hey, the church is bored. And what they did is they said, church is boring. So what we need to do is we need to make Sunday way more exciting. And let's do all of these different, and I'm just going to stop right there. You know where I'm going? Let's make Sunday more exciting because the church is more. And, and the, all they did was they played more into this. And you guys, they missed it. Church isn't boring. The church is bored. Because we're missing that we were called into this awesome thing of active participation in the spreading of the gospel all over this globe. That, that, that we don't need to work hard to make Sunday like way more exciting. We need to get back to this awesome mission that from day one until now, Jesus calls us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's exciting. That's exciting. If we, go to church, if we go to church tomorrow, if we go to work tomorrow with that mentality, not bored. 
If we go to school tomorrow to go, I am here, yes, to learn biology and geometry and all these things, but I'm here first and foremost to make disciples of Jesus Christ, not bored. For me, this missional awakening came in college. I was all, I'm a Christian, I'm going to a Christian college, and the Lord said, no, you're not. And he dropped me in in the midst of all these unbelievers, and he lit a fire for this thing called active participation in the spreading of the gospel. You guys, we get the joyful privilege of partnering together for the spread of the only message that brings hope to every tribe, every tongue, every nation. There ain't nothing boring about that. And I just want to encourage us. I already threw my popcorn bucket. How do we go from audience to army? Because here's the thing, just kind of as your shepherd, let me just say something that's kind of on my heart. We're two today. So we're technically a toddler. But between this service and last service, if you look around, the Lord and his wisdom and what he wanted, he kind of put our little toddler church in like a teenager body. And I fear, not with a bad fear, but I just, I have this healthy burden to go, the larger our church grows numerically, the greater potential we have to become audience church instead of army church. The easier it is, it's, it's so um, counterintuitive. The bigger the church gets, the easier it is to be less known. The more people there are, the less people can know me. The more people there are, the easier it can be to just kind of slide in and sit and go, man, I loved Sunday, and then to walk out and have no sort of ongoing partnership. Can we commit together? We're getting away from audience church, and we are like G.I. Joe church. The mission is way too big and way too important, and people are dying separated from Jesus. And we have the message to fix that. Can we commit to this? If your eyes are as bad as mine, I'm holding up the little army guy. <laughs> Can we commit to this? You're like, how did we get on this? Back to your Bible, back to your Bible. I want to make sure you see it. Because of your partnership in the gospel, active participation. And so just two questions. How do we do this? What does it look like for you to become an active participant on Sunday? You know, again, the bigger we go, the easier it is to just kind of come here and not be engaged and involved in anything. And listen, listen, listen. I'm, this is no, now no guilt trip. No guilt trip here. Our church is amazing. Seventy people this morning in the first service were getting trained in uncommon leadership on how to disciple and how to one day lead small groups. We have an amazing army here. We praise God for the army here. The army is active and at work here, but maybe you're here, and, and not by a guilt thing, but just like, you're like, look at all Jesus has done for me. I want in the army. I want in. Opportunity as we close the day to do that. And then secondly, what does it look like? Because this isn't just a Sunday thing. What does it look like for you to become an active participant Monday through Saturday? I mean, this week, I'm having lunch with one of the guys in our church, and he's telling me of his young daughter who's sharing the gospel with a friend and a neighbor who's a friend. And I'm just like, she gets it. She gets it. That, that, that our faith is not just a Sunday thing from like 9 to 11. Our faith is an everyday thing, and it just bubbles over as we tell people about Jesus. Come on. 
How do we get active in that? How do we go from audience to army? But now, keep moving here. Because this joy of the gospel life together isn't only in us working together, it's also in the work God wants to do in us. And now we come to kind of a well-known Philippians verse, verse 6. He says, man, I'm just grateful for your partnership from the first day until now. And now let's talk about that first day. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Joyfully together for the gospel, we're partnering together in the spread of the gospel. Number two is this, we're being sanctified together until the day of Christ. We're being sanctified together until the day of Christ. Now, what does this word sanctified mean? It means um, that we are progressively, okay, um, let's see if you all agree with this. Jesus steps into your path. Jesus, uh, you come to know him personally as your savior. Um, did Did your life change on that day? Yes. You crossed over from death to life. The old is gone. The new has come. Um, Did you carry into your walk with Jesus, though, what I call a sin hangover? Did you still find yourself like, man, that's still there? Yes? Think about what this verse says. I'm confident of this. I'm sure of this. I know this. That he who began a good work in you on this day is going to bring it to completion on the day we stand before him. How many of you are ready for that day? Think about this. Complete before him. The Achilles heel sin and temptation that always are there nagging at me, it's going to be gone on this day. His work is going to be done. How fulfilling is it when we stand back and we're able to see a finished product? On this day, we're standing before him, and he goes, finished product. Now, let's recognize there's a gap between this day and that day. We are all, ready to be encouraged? Works in progress. We're all being sanctified. We're all growing. Like, we're not to that day yet. But listen, can't we say, I for sure ain't who I was on that day, but I'm for sure not who I'm going to be on that day. I'm a work in progress. Now, where's the joy of life together all being works in progress? Remember what we said in point one. Folks, We are on a mission together. And guess what? When you get hundreds of people in this service and hundreds of people who are in the first service all working towards one mission together and we're all in the works in progress in the progress, we're going to say some things at times works in progress say. And we're going to do some things at times works in progress do. And Listen, you stay around here long enough, I'm so going to offend you. You like you already have, I know. You stay around here long enough, like someone out here is going to offend you. You stay around here long you're going to get hurt. Straight up. Church, we're not there yet. And if we can get that, 
Instead of when like someone said something that really hurt me and me just being like, I'm out of here. What's up with this? I thought this was church. And by the way, I'm not passively, aggressively like addressing an issue. Our church is amazing at loving each other. It's good to preach on these things now when times are good, right? When we get hurt, instead of like, I'm out of here, we can go, man, like that's something totally a work in progress would say. And it's okay, I am too. And I've said things like that in my past. But guess what? The mission's too critical. Let's go. Seek forgiveness. Move forward. This, if we can understand this, that we're being sanctified together, that we can joyfully, we can joyfully celebrate the work that God is doing in our hearts and the work God's doing in each other's heart, and we can keep moving forward on this mission together. We are being sanctified together, and that creates a culture of grace. And now speaking of grace, verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Thirdly, joyfully together for the gospel, we are partaking together of the grace of Christ. This word partake means to share. We are sharers of the grace of God. Uh, Think about this. This whole grace idea, Um, unmerited favor, favor from God that we didn't earn. Think how counterintuitive this is, this idea of grace. We think we have to earn everything in life. You want something, you have to work for it. And yet, the grace of Jesus Christ says, you want something, I already worked for it. We're partakers of that. We're sharers of that grace. And being sharers of that grace means that grace should permeate this group of people more than any other people that we see on the face of the earth. About a month ago, we scrapped the the regularly scheduled program, the sermon that was going to be preached, and we just sensed that the Lord wanted a word on grace. The amount of emails, texts, phone calls that flooded in that week And they all said something like this. I just needed to be reminded of grace. I just needed to be reminded that I don't have it all together and he still loves me the same. Man, would this be a place where we remind each other of grace often? And if this is a place that just permeates with grace, the magnetic attraction from the outside world looking in going, what is that? Because we're partakers of this grace and it's one of the joys of doing life together. But then fourthly is this, joyfully together for the gospel. Last one, we are loving together with the affection of Christ. Verse 8. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Think about what he just said there. I yearn for you with the affection of Christ. I love you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now here's my prayer. I pray that your love would abound more and more. But abound more and more with what? With knowledge and discernment. 
This isn't a fluffy emotional love. This isn't just some feel-good love. He says, I pray that your love would abound with knowledge and discernment. I pray that this would be a sharpening love. That you would all love each other enough to sharpen each other. That you would, that you would provide a love that is safe but not soft. And would shepherd people towards a greater following of Jesus. This is what he says. Verse 10. So that your love abound more and more. So that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and the praise of God. Um, church, we will fail at a lot in the history of our church. But if there's one thing we cannot seek to fail at, it is loving each other with the affection of Christ. Jesus says these words when he walked the earth. By this, all the world will know that you're my disciples if you, if you love one another. All that paragraph in one sentence, here it is. We are to partner together for the spread of the gospel. And we're to partake together in the goodness of the gospel. And now, um, let me address each piece of this sentence. We're to partner together for the spread of the gospel. If you have those registers next to you, if you're on the left-hand side of a row, grab those little black books down at the bottom of your chair there, the, these, these registers that we use. And now, um, just hold on to those until I tell you to pass them. Um, but I want to give us an opportunity right now at the end of this message to just apply it, to just grab a hold of it and do something with it today. Um, if this is your first time or you're interested in baptism, make sure as those go by, check those in the box, fill it out, leave us your prayer request just like normal, but there's two things I want to highlight on the registers today. In the register, you will see a box where it says, check if you want to work for Christ. Uh, check if you're ready to kind of join the army and serve. And now let me say this. As these registers pass by, and as we encourage those of us who maybe aren't in the army to get in the army today, um, let me just acknowledge this. This can feel kind of like a bait and switch thing. Well, you just preached a message on like servant. What am I going to do? Like I feel like if I let this pass, it's like, it's, like a, it's like a message on giving and then waiting to the, pass the uh, offering plates till the end, right? It's like what do I do with that? Here's like three quarters in my watch. Like, you know what I mean? As this goes by, we're just saying, if Jesus Christ has so worked in your life, and if you're like, you know what, this is my church home, and I'm not in the army anywhere, and motivated out of grace, I want to join in the work that's going on, that God's doing in this church. We want you to get in the army today. But if you sense, as this goes by, that there'd be any sort of guilt-motivated thing where it's just like, honestly, I'd just kind of be checking a box because that's what the sermon was about today. Let it pass. Listen, it takes an army to do what God wants to do here. And yet the other side of that coin is this. God don't need any of us. Isn't that refreshing? God doesn't need any of us. And yet, we get the privilege of serving in it. And so I'll just say this. I just want to preface with this, but this register is going to pass, not right now, but when I tell you. And if you're just ready to join the army here, let me say this. Uh, we're two years old. The first Sunday, if you don't, some of you probably don't even know this, but halfway in this room, there's a portable wall that closes. So like the first season of our church, we were just one service all in here. 
Who's in here and actually remembers those days? Who remembers those days? Wow, a lot of you. And then, like, the walls had to open, and, and you can see all those curtains that had to be built. I call the, uh, the team that comes in and sets them up the Nehemiah team. And the team that tears them down, Jericho team, Bible jokes, right? You like those? Bible jokes. Um, first season, there are about 20 kids upstairs. Now there's about 120 to 130 on a given Sunday. Um, in the room next here, there's an army of prayer team that meets every Sunday morning. We need to staff that. We need to fill that room. Listen, that room is the fire in the furnace of this room. That room goes out, this room goes out. Um, on and on and on it could go. It literally takes an army. And if you're ready to enlist in the army, um, just check, work for Christ. But then before you pass it, the second part of this, we partner together for the spread of the gospel and we partake together in the goodness of the gospel. We partake together. Now, part of this happens as we're hundreds of people in this room on Sunday. But we believe something to the very core of who we are. That we cannot partake together in gospel community effectively in a room of this size. And that's why we, um, we create ways to meet together in smaller groups of Christians all week long. You ready for this? It's mind-blowing. We call them small groups. Wow. We're brilliant people here. And what we do in these small groups is we open God's word together and we share our lives together. We meet together as men and women, and we break off separately, a group of men, group of women during that time. And um, this is where the partaking together of the deep goodnesses of gospel community happens. And so um, as that register passes, you're going to see a chance to check a box called small groups or walk with Christ. Um, you can pass that down the aisles now if you're holding on to those. But while that passes, let me say this. If you're like, nah, we, we don't have time for that kind of commitment. Um, no one does. It, it, right? Like, no one does. I'm telling you, Monday nights is our small group, and there are Mondays I'm just like, yes, and man, the night's free, and I'm ready. And then there are Mondays where it's like, oh my goodness, like, how are we going to fit this in? You have to make time for it. And so many Mondays that I'm like, whew, like, how are we going to do this? I walk away going, that is exactly what my heart needed tonight. I needed that. And so there's that. And then, you know, especially like us guys, you're like, ugh, people and talking. And Can I just say this? Like, what's it hurt to try it? You know? What, what's it hurt to just try it? And if you're like, I'll try it one time. I'm trying it one time. Let me encourage you. If you try it one time, you have to try it four times. Why, why do you say that? Because, like, when you walk into any group that you don't know the people in some strange living room, it's never natural the first time. Like, it's, pr it's pretty likely after the first time you're going to walk out like, wow, that was awkward. Like, am I right? Am I right? Those of you who have been to us, like, that was, I didn't know any of them. And go back the next week. And then go back the next week. And then go back the next week. And if it's like, man, I, I tried that, like a month of it. But I'm just so convinced 
that though you might not always the day of go like, man, I really want, you're going to walk out of there going, I needed that. I needed, I needed something during the week to recalibrate my heart back to where my focus needed to be. And so I'm just kind of, I'm just calling us into the army today. We may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, or shoot the artillery. Come on, huh? You know that one? <laughs> love doing life with you all. Seriously. And let's love doing life together. Because God has made us a together people. And there's a joyful reality when we embrace that, that we will experience together as a group. So the worship team, they're going to join me on stage right now. And um, as, those, as those registers pass down your aisle and as the worship team gets ready to lead us just kind of in a closing song, I think um, I just want to close today like this. Um, we're calling the series Gospel Joy. And um, I think it's really important that on the very first Sunday of a series by the title of Gospel Joy, that we just remind ourselves of the gospel message. And so for some of, for some of you, um, this may be the first time you've heard this. For more of us in this room, you've heard this for years or decades. And yet I pray that God would spark something in your heart today to reignite the vastness, the majesty of this message. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The gospel starts with um, a creator God. There's one God and one true God and one creator God, and he created everything that we see. So when we walk out of this church today and we look at the trees and when we drive by the water and when we, um, when we see whatever we see, it's all created by a good God. This good God created people. He created humans. He created man and he created woman. And um, before sin ever entered the world, man and woman had this unhindered relationship with God. Unhindered. There, there was no sin that was part of it. <clears throat> and God places them in this garden. He calls it Eden. And um, he says, look, look. All of it's yours. Just see that tree right there? Just that one right there? Just, just don't eat of that one. It's all yours. And when we read the story of Genesis, we're like, you imbeciles. You had the whole thing, and like, there you are, like, like a man, like a moth to the flame to that tree. And yet we all know what? Is that not my story? He goes, Brock, look. All of the fruits of the good gifts that you can have. And I know in my story, over and over again, there I went like a moth to the flame. And God calls it sin. Now, sin is us doing anything that God has said not to do. Sin is us not doing things God has said to do. Sin means we've missed the mark. And um, I don't think any of us need convincing that we've missed the mark on some things. God says sin is a really big deal. There's a penalty for sin. Um, the first sin that happened in the Bible 
Animals died immediately after that for the Lord to clothe Adam and Eve. And from that time, uh, sin has always led to a penalty of death. If we were still living in the sacrifice system, we'd all be passing each other on the road a lot with like a goat behind us. What'd you do today? And for centuries and centuries, God's people would bring the sacrifices to the altar and they would atone for their sin. And then God sent a perfect lamb. It was his son. Fully God. Who willingly came to earth born in a place the animals stayed, laid in a place the animals ate, slept in the places the homeless slept, ate at the tables the societal outcasts ate at, died in the place the criminals died. When we sang that song earlier, was that like hymn song we sang? I will boast in Christ. And then when it gets to that hymn part, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So the crucifixion of a savior king named Jesus, literally it's what separates time and history. AD, BC. But it's not just a historical event. When the blood ran down the cross, atonement for our sin was being made. We were being redeemed. It means we were being bought back. We were being bought back from our sin. The perfect lamb of God had to die to buy us back from our sin. And then they ensured that he was dead and they took him down from the cross and they prepared his body quickly to, to, so it would be over before the Sabbath came and they laid him in a tomb and then, then after the Sabbath uh, the women came back they wanted to prepare his body uh, more fully but when they came to the tomb what did they find? What did they find? They found a stone rolled away and they found an empty tomb they found, they found garments being left there and then an angel he shows up and he's sitting there can you imagine the moment? An angel shows up and he's sitting there and he says, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has, he's risen. He's alive. And because he's alive, we get life too. That is the gospel. That is what produces joy in any circumstance. But that's why the awfulest of awful things can happen in your